Rajni, what's wrong? Tom, I have a script and I don't know what to do with it. Should I burn it? Feed it to my cat? You need some writer's group therapy. Hello, and welcome to Writer's Group Therapy. I'm Tom. And I'm Rajni. We're writers helping writers. Ready for your session? The doctors are in. Okay, so, I don't know. I think I was just having like a moment of nostalgia or something. But I realized one of my favorite shows, a cartoon show, was actually really forward for its time. Did you ever see that old show, Gem? Gem and the Holograms? I'm familiar with it. Uh, I probably watched it a little bit when I was a kid because I grew up in the 80s, but I don't remember it quite as well as you do, probably. Well, yeah, I mean, you weren't the target group. It was meant for little girls. But, like, okay, think about this. This is actually kind of mind-boggling. It was pushing diversity before it was a buzzword or before it was popular. So you have – so the basic uh, premise, for those of you who haven't seen uh, the show – Jerrica Benton um, inherits her father's music company when he dies, and she ends up running a music label and running a band, and she is dating um, a Latino guy, which I never knew that Pacheco was a was a Hispanic name because I grew up in the Midwest and we don't have a lot of Pachecos out where I'm you know from. So she's she's a white girl dating a Latino guy. There's a lot of interracial relationships. Um, she's she's got a very diverse group of foster s- siblings as well because they're also in her band. So her foster siblings are a black girl, an Asian girl. She has a real biological sister who's white, and then they end up bringing in a Latino. Uh, I'm sorry, Latina gal um, to be the drummer, and a lot of them are dating uh, interracial couples as well. So the Asian girl is dating a white guy, things like that. They also are single mothers because they inherit the Starlight Foundation, which is this foster home for girls. So they inherit a bunch of preteen girls and raise these girls. So they're they're promoting diversity, interracial relationships, female-led companies, and single motherhood. And this was all in the 80s. Wow. That's uh, way ahead of its time, isn't it? it? It kind of is. It kind of is. And I was thinking about this because I don't know if you remember this, but – in the 90s, so like, I, I looked it up, Jem ran uh, mid-80s, like 85 to 88. In the early 90s, Dan Quayle, who was the vice president at the time, attacked the Murphy Brown show, which is a live-action primetime show, because the main character, Murphy, becomes a single mother. And he was attacking it, saying, you know, family values, etc. But nobody ever attacked Jem, and they're raising like six 12-year-old girls. Crazy, right? Yeah, that was a that was a major uh, big news story when Candace Bergen, who played Murphy Brown, uh, was attacked because she felt attacked personally yeah. as an actor for portraying that role too. Of course, if you're a cartoon character, you don't have a publicist to come out and defend you. So. <laughs> they just you know would cancel the show. But it got me thinking: Does it seem like it's easier to push a political or social agenda in animation? than live action. And why Why is that, if that's true? Well, when you told me about this topic, I, I immediately thought of um, the Gummy Bears, the, another cartoon from that era, where you just had a bunch of little different colored bears who all lived together and you know went on adventures. And uh, I can't even remember what the villain of the, the show was. But um, 
the idea, the thing that stuck with me was, is, you know, they're all different, but they're all the same species, but they all live together and get along just fine. So that's kind of like, you know, diversity and equality and living together and getting along. So it's just that they're bears instead of people. It also works, you know, like with aliens or monsters or whatever characters you want, you know, because they're already different in their in their very nature, um, you can already address the the you know kind of the topic yeah. in, within the world without having to be overt about it. Yeah, I mean, one thing that's interesting about Gem is they all have crazy candy colored hair, so you don't even think about the fact that, for example, Aja, the Asian girl, she has blue hair. She dates a white guy who also has blue hair. So you don't even think about it. You know, you're like, oh, okay. You know, Rio has purple hair. So I think the fact that they chose uh, in the design of the characters to give them these crazy unnatural hair colors, it makes you think, I don't know, you don't, you don't see the racial stuff, if that makes sense, because of that. Right. Uh, Japanese anime does similar things. Their, their characters have all kinds of crazy looks and hair colors and things, and it doesn't matter really it's just helps you kind of differentiate which characters which in some ways yeah yeah but you're not looking but at they it all like, have the same yeah yeah they all have they all have the same problems though they they have to deal with life's issues the same way we all do it doesn't matter what color their hair is or what kind of animal or monster they are um and monsters inc is a good example because here you have scary monsters which when we're kids we think the scary monsters are bad but now we're told that they're all just regular people they just scare people for their job at least in the original one so then within that world you have the good and the bad and they just happen to fall into you know it doesn't matter the scariest looking monster might might not be the bad guy it might be the 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 this more subtle character who is actually the bad guy. Mm-hmm. Well, Pixar's so. very good, I think, at pushing social and political ideas very subtly in their films. I mean, and I love their films, so that's not a slam on them at all, but they're very good. Like we were talking about Wally, you know, has very diverse themes mm-hmm. of environmentalism, you know, uh, kind of a cautionary tale if you rely too much on technology, you know, look at the fate of humanity because of it. And yet people got up in arms over, you know, for example, Al Gore's film, An Inconvenient Truth. People, you know, were saying, oh, yeah, there's no environmental issues or whatever. But you, you watch Wally, you're like, oh, I, I can get behind that. Yeah, you know, humanity's screwing itself over. Well, yeah, Wally is the story of a robot in love. Um, and the subplot is the what happened to the Earth and what happened to the humans who, who left it and, and they're, are they coming back. But you're right. It's there's those stories about artificial intelligence. There's stories about, you know, environmentalism, consumerism, wasting, uh, and losing, you know, focus on what's really important. Um, the same kind of stuff happened in um, oh, uh, a Bug's Life. Uh, here you have the the ants, which are supposed to be the good characters, and then you have the grasshoppers, who are the bad guys. And it it's kind of about bullying, and you know, and being different and being accepted for who you are and, you know, not, not walking with the, the pack, so to speak. And, and so there's all these, you know, great stories that happen here. And, and, you know, I think in the most part, they teach us good things, but you're always going to find somebody out there who's going to look at it and say, you're trying to push an agenda. And, and I actually Googled Wally and there's a, you know, it takes two seconds to find a half a dozen places where they're like, Oh, this is environmentalist propaganda. This is, you know, 
you know, trying to make kids think a certain way. And, you know, maybe it is. But as writers, you know, coming back to the writing side of it, you know, we all have positions and we all have, you know, our own, you know, kind of causes, I guess you could say. And we don't necessarily write stories about them. But if you're writing a story about a world, it's going to fall in there somewhere. It has to because that's just part of who you are. And so it's, it's going to sneak into your story in some way. Maybe maybe not on purpose, maybe subtly, maybe, you know, for some things, maybe more overtly. Mm-hmm. I think, though, with animation, because you have that extra layer of uh, not even like a fourth wall, but it's fantasy right off the bat. You know, they these characters don't look like us. They don't even if they are human, you know, they're they're cartoons. So you have that extra layer of fantasy so you can forgive you know, the agendas a little bit more. I mean, Zootopia, for example, which is a mainstream Disney film, has strong themes about prejudice and racism, you know, and people have mentioned it in reviews and stuff about these themes. If they didn't pick a world of animals and it was a live action with people film, we might not have been as accepting. But uh, everyone I've ever talked to loves Zootopia. It's gotten great reviews. Uh, you know, it would have been crashed if it had been humans. So, mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. And and then in, you know, the adult world of animation, like Fox with Simpsons and Family Guy and, then, you know, South Park, those kind of cartoons, you know, the, I think part of their success um, allows them to be more satirical or more controversial because they know they're not getting canceled anytime soon, so they can push it even more. So they really dig in with hard you know, issues of the day. And South Park, if you've ever seen Six Days to Air, the documentary about making South Park, they show how they can literally in one one week come up with a whole new show. So they can react to current events. And then they, you know, they put it out there right in front for adults specifically yeah. as satire to commentate on our, you know, our daily lives. Yeah. And I think the animation part of it makes it sort of allegorical versus, you know, just what I mean, it's easier to it's more palatable because it's kind of an allegory instead of, you know, you actually held the mirror up and showed me how ugly I was sort of thing. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, they killed Kenny every week on South Park for the first couple of years. I mean, you would never do that in a live action show. Yeah. It just wouldn't happen, you know, but it was a running gag. It was comedy. Yeah. And, you know, and it was supposed, you know, and they say right up front that their, their show is horrible. So nobody should watch it (laughs) in their little opening credits, you know? So, but, you know, I think in some in some ways they do a great service, you know. So, And I think all writers, you know, in our hearts, we all want to do good with our projects. We want to open people's minds and, and hopefully, you know, in some way make the world a better place. Yeah. I mean, and that, the, the Killing Kenny thing is actually a really good point, too, because in animation, think about it, even like your classics like uh, Warner Brothers, Bugs Bunny and the Roadrunner. I mean, uh. the characters are always dying or getting an anvil on their heads or a piano thrown at them or something. You know, Roger Rabbit, who killed Roger Rabbit, touches on that, right? You know, all the characters, they see stars or birds or whatever every time. You know, you can't really care- kill a cartoon, right? So, yeah. again, that layer of fantasy. They, they didn't kill Roger Rabbit, though. They, it was who framed Roger Rabbit. So. I know, but, you know, remember they keep, dropping the, <laughs> they keep dropping the safe or whatever on him in the beginning, and they're like, why aren't you seeing stars? Mm-hmm. You're seeing birds. It's the wrong thing. Obviously, if it was a live-action thing, it's one and it's done, right? You, you throw the anvil on the rabbit and he's dead. So that yeah. layer of fantasy and that layer of allegory, I think, helps make, make any of those themes mm-hmm. just easier to swallow. Yeah. Yeah. Because, 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, and over the years, you know, the shows uh, have dealt with, you know, all kinds of very topical issues, the, you know, racism and discrimination and sexism and transgender, and, you know, especially on South Park with, the, you know, characters there. So, you know, it's certainly part of our culture and it's going to it's going to come up everywhere, whether it's an adult cartoon or a, or a cartoon for the whole family. You're going to have some of that in there just because we're humans, we're writers and we're humans. Yeah. So do you think overall, then, if you were trying to make a statement with your writing, animate it, don't animate it, how would you know what's uh, what the best platform is for a piece? Well, you know, if you want to deal with a controversial topic and, you know, nobody wants to make a live action piece out of it, you can consider doing, you know, a... Uh, a animated version of it. Think about spinning the world that you're in into another world where it can be um, entertaining, but it can also give you a little bit more freedom to address a, pro, uh, a, a social issue in a more subtle way and something that people will will get but don't have to have beat over the head with. So, um, Comics are also another great way. Do a graphic novel. Oh, um, yeah. A lot of issues are come out in graphic novels. See, that's another way to and bring stories to people in a in different, uh, you know, kind of media. Yeah, that's a good idea. So what do you guys think? What's your favorite animated show or comic or movie or whatever that's really made you think? Tweet it at us at WG Therapy online. We're also found at writersgrouptherapy.com. And if you like what you hear, subscribe and share it with your friends. We'll see you next week.